Hello, and welcome to the Methods Podcast. My name is Hannah Pinnock, and today I'm joined by Sarah Toulay, sustainability consultant, and Suzanne Maxted, business architect, to discuss behaviour change and the climate crisis to mark Earth Day 2021. This podcast was recorded on the 20th of April 2021. Welcome everyone to this special podcast to celebrate Earth Day 2021. Uh, I'm joined today by Suzanne Maxted, who is a business architect and a colleague of mine at Methods. Uh, environmentalism has been a lifelong passion for Suzanne, and she's currently studying for a master's in sustainability and behaviour. And we are joined by Sarah Toulay, who is a sustainability advisor, activist and communicator. Sarah is passionate about social justice as a core part of environmentalism and believes we are we all have a role in fighting for equality to give us the best chance of coming through the climate crisis. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Hannah. Great to be here. <laughs> thank you, Hannah. Thank you so, for inviting me. Thank you for joining us. So we're, we're really looking today at um, change, behaviour change as a way of tackling the climate crisis. And, and what we're going to look at Today is really kind of the full breadth from individuals through to organisations through to governments, so um, right across the system. Um, I wanted to start just with a quote from a lady called Grace Lee Boggs, uh, which comes from a book that I've been reading with a wonderful book club uh, called Design Justice, and the author is Sasha Constance of Chalk. And the quote is this, people are aware that they cannot continue in the same old way but are immobilized because they cannot imagine an alternative. We need a vision that recognizes that we're at one of the great turning points in human history when the survival of our planet and the restoration of our humanity require a great sea change in our ecological, economic, political and spiritual values. And I just wondered if there was anything particularly that um, that, that sort of inspired in you or, or that made you think in a particular way just as a as a way of getting started with this conversation. Well, yes, Hannah, immediately that uh, brings to mind the Dasgupta review, uh, which was commissioned by the UK government and was published in February this year, 2021. Uh, and if you look up the headline messages summary document of that, um, it really does um, put some structure to that quote that you've just read for us and um, I'll read you a couple of uh, uh, headlines from it. It's, it's really quite blunt. Um, so uh, Professor Sir Dasgupta says, we have collectively failed to engage with nature sustainably to, to the extent that our demands far exceed its capacity to supply us with the goods and services we all rely on. I mean, clearly the logical conclusion of that is that we're on a path uh, to ruin our planet. And he says that the heart of the problem lies deep-rooted, widespread institutional failure. And he goes on to um, explain that uh, governments almost everywhere exacerbate the problem by paying people more to exploit nature than to um, protect it. Um, so, and he says the solution starts with understanding and accepting a simple truth that our economies are embedded within nature, not external to it. So, um, and I see this um, 
review and other and other papers that as uh, a series of permissions um, governments around the world have declared climate emergencies including the UK government uh, and reviews like this and the synthesis reports about ecosystem assessments and so on they give us permission to now um, act. Yes um, Suzanne thank you for that I think you hit on something that's absolutely central to the conundrum we have with with um, environmental issues is the idea of externalities so the true cost of the things that we enjoy so whether that's the clothes that we wear the food that we eat is not reflecting kind of the impact that that is having on nature so you know we know that it takes tens of thousands of litres of water to make a cotton t-shirt but you can buy one for two pounds in some places um, or organic food costs quite a lot more than food that really kind of is grown in ways that really damage the earth. And I think um, that's such a central problem um, to people being able to kind of make sustainable choices because for a lot of us, a lot of people don't have the option to spend more. And I think that's a huge barrier to change at the moment. That's so true, isn't it? And it really feels like, um, I mean, you know, not to not to bash capitalism so early on, but it does feel like capitalism and the system in which we we exist like really does have a have a role to play in this well indeed i mean hannah the um ecological crisis and bio biodiversity loss and, and the climate change is of course my interest but i'm coming from um a fairly privileged position and and people who are buying the two pound t-shirt you know that's not their priority so uh, their priority to is to put food on the table for their children, as it is mine, but I can um, uh, focus on some other things too. Uh, and so we have to make it easy for people. So there's a whole host of societal problems in what you just said, Hannah, but um, I think when it's difficult to focus on responding to the climate emergency, for instance, which it is, um, if you go online, it's difficult to find projects to be involved in. It's difficult to know what to do. People are overwhelmed with a sense of doom and gloom and uh, a, a sense of apathy. So they can't do anything. So I think those of us in positions to to help people must must do that. But the number one thing I've learned in my career is that we must make it easy for people to do that. Yeah, it, it comes back to that point in the quote at the start about people feeling immobilised by this challenge. Um, Grace Lee Bogg talks about the inability of being able to imagine an alternative, but there's also something in the paralysis of not being able to make a change, of being focused on survival because you don't have the bandwidth to think about the environment. That's definitely a significant barrier. And clearly, governments have a role to play in helping citizens to make the easy choice to take the path of least resistance when it comes to making you know, green green choices. Absolutely, Hannah. And um, making it easy for people to respond uh, to the climate emergency is absolutely a task that, that government needs to take on, as the DASGEPTA review suggests. Um, and in and one of the ways to do that is to is to green up all our jobs. Um, I, I use that term as a short way of of saying that we need to green up all our jobs. And and I don't mean 
uh, a few jobs. I mean, great swathes of jobs, as we did in World War One, World War Two. This is a war effort to respond to an emergency, um, and so uh, uh, and innovate in those jobs so that it's easy for people to choose well. And um, so, for example, in in my job, I help government um, to provide better public services. Um, and I've written a paper about how we might include prolific mes messaging and um, pathways for people to make good choices. Um, so, for example, if we compare the climate emergency with another emergency that's been in our lives, the pandemic, there has been prolific messaging from government to change people's behaviour. Um, and it was very easy messaging. So, uh, for instance, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives, hands, face, space, really easy and simple. All right, so there were lots of questions um, uh, and difficulties around that. But um, the vast majority of people's behaviour was changed very, very quickly by a series of messaging um, and and this can be included. This can be duplicated for responding to the to the climate emergency. In my mind, yeah, I think that's um, a really interesting point. And I I wonder sometimes the extent to which we can, you know, you can draw parallels between things like war efforts and pandemics and climate change, which are all, I guess, with a, a war or a pandemic, you've got a, a pressing and immediate threat which climate change also is but it's sort of it's extremely complex and and plays out in many different ways um but i think a bigger problem if we're focusing on the uk government is um and and also looking at companies is the issue of trust and and consistency so you know one example that really strikes me is trying to encourage people to live more sustainably but then the government supporting plans for a new deep coal mine in Cumbria despite um, you know local authorities in that area all signing up declaring a climate emergency and and doing their own review showing that you know many many more times the number of green jobs could be created um, as opposed to to coal mining jobs and I think it's these inconsistencies in policy and in decision making that really kind of cause people to question, well, why should I do anything if, you know, if the government's doing this or uh, a brand's doing that? And so I really think that's that's quite a big barrier at the moment. And there's a, a lot of inconsistency in messaging, which is confusing a lot of people. I think that's really interesting, Sarah. And um, the, this issue of trust um, and mistrust of our, of our politicians and our business leaders, um, you know, makes me makes me kind of I think it's a, a, a useful way of understanding why the general public are um, not maybe taking the the messages that are coming through from you know from other bodies seriously, and why why we as a kind of a collective nation are not acting um, uh, as if this is an emergency. It's something that is a problem that we can kick down the road for future generations to deal with. Yeah, and I think it's also um, quite confusing. Um, I mean, it's extremely complex, the idea of sustainability. Um, you know, something as simple as a bottle of water can have so many hidden impacts that are completely counterintuitive. And I think people 
I think paralysis is a bit of a problem. Um, so faced with a number of different things you could do from what you wear to the things that you eat, to how you travel, to how you sort your recycling, and then maybe finding out that, oh, actually a lot of, you know, finding out now, oh, actually plastic can't really be recycled. I mean, it can be downcycled once and that's about it. And I mean, it just sort of, it's extremely complex. And so um, I'd be really interested to hear like what Suzanne's findings were from looking at messaging and um, nudging people into better decision-making for something that is quite actually very complex. Um, I don't know if you've got any, any nuggets you can share from your work, Suzanne. Thanks, Sarah. Well, yes, the, the, the paper was about how we can um, integrate um, environmental responsibility into uh, government public services at all levels for individuals, small businesses, large businesses and so on. So um, <clears throat> and, and if you look at, say, for example, an online service renewing your car tax today, if you look on there today, it's got messaging about Brexit and coronavirus. Um, so we really need to take on this this messaging and use the word uh, uh, nudges, Sarah. Um, they nudges I I found weren't um, all that useful. Nud, uh, a nudge is where people are um, directed without them knowing that they're being directed. Um, and my conclusion was that the what we need are signposts and pathways, very obvious ones, to um, take people. Uh, to action they can take. So, for example, on the renewing your car tax um, page, there might be a link to um, having free cycling lessons and options for different needs, disability, um, for example, a tricycle. Um, and someone might never have thought of learning to ride a bike on a tricycle. Um, if, if you try to take action in this way as an individual not knowing much about it it's really hard to do because you've got two things to do one is you've got to find out all about it and then you've got to do it um, so the government need to put this in front of people and make it super easy for people to um, make the right choices in terms of so that's for individuals and for small businesses in terms of um, governments and larger organizations seek help uh, we we need to do the right thing but we also need to do that thing right so for example you've heard the stories of people planting lots of trees but there are reports coming in saying that uh the right trees are being planted in the wrong place because it's all context specific so so do the right thing help people do the right thing but do it right bring the experts in um i don't think that we need to worry about whether we can go ahead with this now. I used the word permission earlier. There's so much permission around. Uh, it, it starts in my mind with one of my heroes, Sir David Attenborough, uh, and campaign, campaigners like him and the scientists. Um, and, and then the permission that's led to permission in the form of government and local authorities declaring climate emergencies, the Dasgupta Review, um, court rulings that, uh, for example, Heathrow that conflict with the government declaration. So um, <laughs> I had a, a previous boss 
and and when she was talking about uh, being innovative in your work, she'd say, uh, just carry on regardless unless someone stops you. And and I think we have permission to do that in terms of environmental responsibility and to be innovative in our jobs. Um, who's going to stop you? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Who is going to stop you? <laughs> uh, and I think there's a lot of glory to be had. <laughs> yeah. That's what people are, are after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking, I was thinking about um, how you know, each local authority has like different rules around recycling. And so it's really confusing, like, you know, as you, as you both have been kind of alluding to, it, we don't make it easy for people. And um, if we can't even get something as basic as recycling, right, like how are we going to get the, the bigger issues right, you know? And I think you're right, Suzanne, in, uh, you know, get doing it, but getting it right when you do it the first time and, um, you know, we all have a, a kind of a, a human-centered design um, understanding, if not a background, and and I think that approach to um, to this problem is 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 a really um, uh, is a really valuable one because it it ensures that we are solving the right problems in the right ways, rather than just you know barreling in there and and doing something. I wanted to add a note to that, Hannah, is that while people like me have a special interest in ecology and, and behaviour change and so on. We can't expect the population at large to have the time to look into this. So that, that's why it's important. And, I, and I'll give you a, a, a startling example of, of why that's important. So a few years ago, the BBC um, decided to do a survey uh, and they asked people in 19 cities across the UK what is biodiversity? And the top answer was laundry powder. Right, so we, we, <laughs> we haven't got time to educate people. In, it, it's an emergency, as Greta says. Our house yeah. is on fire. We haven't got time to educate everybody about this, although I think um, as does George Monbiot, I think, my favourite journalist, um, <clears throat> that ecological education should be core in schools now. Um, we have to make it easy for people to make the right choices and do the right thing. Yeah, I always think about the the combi model when, when we talk about behaviour change. And um, uh, for anyone who's, who's not clear on that, it's... Um, this uh, this model where you have three things: capability, opportunity, and motivation. And once the conditions are right with those three factors, that will achieve behaviour change. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you reflect on uh, what what education in schools is really providing, it's providing that that capability, uh, which you know, as as your your BBC. Uh, um, biodiversity laundry powder example alludes to you know the capability is lacking and so I think if we can't address that um at least in in the generations that are coming up you know from school then you know long term we're really going to struggle because um as you say the average person doesn't have the bandwidth to 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 go out there and do the research and and the time and and interest as well you know there's other things going on in life like like pandemics um but we do need to address that capability gap somehow, I think. 
Yeah, responding to that, um, I think there's a slight difference between the idea of educating people and people needing to know how to do stuff and the, the, the affinity with the natural world and the kind of, you know, if we're talking about education in schools, fostering that sense of our interconnectedness with each other and with nature, which I think is also some one thing at the seat of some of the problems we're facing today is people feeling quite divorced from the natural world, um, often for you know reasons outside their control. And so I think there is something around what we value and what we feel is worth saving. Um, and I, I find it incredibly sad, you know, reading it's once you start reading books to children I've got a three-year-old son they're all about animals and often about um animals that are uh, becoming um highly endangered and just this sort of sense of sadness and then thinking but he's coming into a world where these things you know may have got gone ex virtually extinct before he's even had a chance to be aware of them and so yeah there's something about that for me and and there's also something about um you know the danger of focusing overly on individual behavior change and accepting that you know whole systems need to change and that's and not beating ourselves up for that I think um often there's a lot of guilt associated with how you respond to to sustainability issues and when I was doing my master's one of the people on my course was kind of said to us look you know there's only so much you can do in a system that is fundamentally unsustainable so just do your best really and don't um, beat yourself up too much um, because guilt is definitely not a helpful emotion when it comes to to leading to action and positive change. Mm. But then uh, I guess we should be expecting more of our of, of our leaders. Um, so yes, as an individual, what I can achieve is limited and I shouldn't feel guilty for you know that some of you know not being able to save the world I think it comes back to power so you know if you are a person that has political power or institutional power it is completely on you to be making as much change as you possibly can with the influence with the influence that you have and I think it comes down to that because often it the focus is on people that have less power and then people who have huge potential to do stuff kind of are clearly focusing on other things um mm -hmm. looking at politicians and 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 people in with a lot of privilege and power um and then there's also yeah coming to your point about you know we can't um can't like be expected to save everyone single-handedly I think there's also a reframing about um that it's not our job to necessarily save things but just to to give more resources to the people there's lots of very resourceful people with great solutions like working in areas that are being really affected by climate change that are working on you know, reforestation projects and there's a lot of great solutions out there and I think there's maybe a bit too much focus and I'm certainly guilty of this of sort of hand-wringing and worrying when there's actually people that are highly sort of practical and, and just getting on with it because they're absolutely at the front line and we don't hear about that as much and it's actually very inspiring and I think the role of inspiration and like a, a vision of a positive future is often missing and is absolutely crucial because there are some really positive things that come out of focusing on sustainability um, and restoring nature. Sarah, that's, yes, that's exactly right. Is And I think the government has a huge role to play in that, is that um, providing that inspiration, uh, putting that in front of people's faces and 
making it easy for them to act themselves, but providing that capability uh, and and reframing this effort as a war effort. It, it's as big as that. That's that's the effort that's required, and and why I refer to war, the war effort, whether or not you agreed with the war. But this this is a war that we we must we must tackle and we must um, act uh, uh, and to encourage as many people to act. But we have to put that in front of them and make it easy for them to do so. So if I could push you both on that, like what's what would you like to see government or big big business doing differently? Like what are the things we've talked about communication, we've talked about giving space to those space and resources to those who are who are doing uh, amazing work on the front line. But is you know beyond that is what would you like to see changed at that at that level? I, I'll go. Um you know, it's difficult in practical terms to implement, but I think a huge thing is making companies pay for the, you know, the impact that they have on um, on the world. Like we don't need one single company churning out billions of garments of clothing per year. And the environmental and social cost in terms of unpaid wages is enormous. So I would love to see the true cost being actually passed back to people that are doing that because that would rapidly incentivize different ways of, of producing um, and I would love to say I mean this is an absolute fantasy scenario but companies just saying just stopping you know just we don't need this like we we don't need all this stuff um, and just realizing that they don't have a place I mean that's a, a you know a highly unrealistic solution but I just think there's this this just what do you call it like dissonance between on the one hand people saying our, our planet's on fire and on the other hand trying to increase production of of non-essential stuff and it's just crazy. So yeah, that's my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I get you, Sarah. I hear you. So for me, it's about. Um, putting nature and people's well-being at the heart of every decision. This actually comes back to your story about reading stories about animals and nature to your son. The fundamental problem in my mind is that people are, are fundamentally disconnected from nature, or many people, for whatever reason, through poverty, whatever. Um, and we need to have government provide the capability for everyone to be more connected with nature. I grew up um, in a in a beautiful place in in the countryside, uh, and not a not a well off upbringing, but I was in the countryside and I would wake up every day and have my hands in, in the mud every day, all day. And so, taking care of nature is not. Um, something that I need to think about it's I love nature I love it like I love my children and and so I want to take care of it, it it's it's not a choice um I'm compelled to look after it and and that we need to we need to embed that more in society so that everyone is putting nature at the heart of every decision um and 
the other thing that governments and and businesses need to do is to uh, make their impact transparent. So Pavan Sukhdev says that we need to measure the work we do and measure it against things like the sustainable development goals. And we need to make that transparent. He's actually come up with a way of doing that with benchmarks. So thousands and thousands of companies and governments uh, where they have measured so you can compare yourself to, to others. Uh, so there's, there's uh, peer pressure uh, in that. And he also talks about um, changing the tax system. Uh, so uh, as the Das Gupta review says, the, the problem lies deep-rooted widespread institutional failure. Uh, and, and one of the things that fails, uh, according to Sukhdev, is the tax system. So, And he says that we tax the things that we want, like our income, but we don't tax the things that we don't want, like water pollution. So those are those are the two things for me. Put nature at the heart of every decision, uh, and and make impact transparent, positive and negative. Completely agree with you, Suzanne. Great points. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about the um, the recently appointed, I think, a, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> uh, future generations commissioner for Wales, and I believe this this role is to ensure that every de decision made. Um, in Wales by by the Welsh Assembly um, is uh, has a, a this future consideration included so <clears throat> um, you know what is the long-term impact of this decision on society on our population on 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 our health on the environment um, and I think that's a really really powerful um, uh, a powerful appointment by the by the Welsh Assembly and um, and the first in the world, I believe. Um, so it would be great to see um, future countries in the future also appointing similar roles and also for those roles to have teeth, because I think that's really important um, that these, you know, where, where we give people um, responsibility for protecting the environment in the future, they need to be able to act um, uh, and, you know, for legislation to support them. Yeah, that's a brilliant example. And um, another a related example is what Extinction Rebellion have been calling for in terms of um, setting up citizens assemblies to make decisions about climate change related policy. Um, the idea being that you bring together a, a representative group uh, to of people from different ages, different ethnicities, um, different parts of the country. To come together and they have professional facilitators that help them to understand information about what they're dealing with and then come to an agreement a shared agreement of what the, the proposed way forward should be and so yeah decision making structures and who's making those decisions is is crucial because you know so much of the issues we're facing is because of vested interests and people that are not going to be affected in any real way by by some of these, you know, ecological, um, you know, issues that we're we're facing. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. I've loved seeing the rise of citizen assemblies over the last few years. Um, I think they're they're incredibly powerful spaces, and giving communities a voice is is um, is paramount, is central, you know, to 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 solving this this crisis. Well, and I think uh, decision making power. Uh, could be delegated in local authorities that are so strapped for cash and time 
uh, it's a wonderful way to to give local people decision making power about their locality, where they live, where they that they love, uh, and have knowledge about it. Who better to make those decisions? Which I suppose is sort of what like a parish council does, although with limited um, remit, I suppose. Um, I wonder how we could maybe make those spaces more effective um, uh, and, and more inclusive. I know um, my parish council um, back at home where mum and dad live, um, they make decisions behind closed doors. And, you know, there's a big debate currently about a bus shelter <laughs> and they don't they don't have the conversations in the open. And that seems really counter to 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 what we need in in in, in the coming years. Absolutely. I think my message all along is is we need to get the numbers up of people involved. We need to get millions of people involved in this stuff, uh, not just a, a select few. And that, and that builds on your point about greening jobs and making it everyone's role, irrespective of your, your job title, to, to care for the environment and, and take an active responsibility. Absolutely. So in, in way of closing then, um, it would be uh, good just to hear a final thoughts from you both on um, what is the, the kind of the one thing that you would hope listeners take away from this. Um, you know, this is an overwhelming challenge and one that, you know, we can't, no one can fix on their own. So, you know, what would be the, the one or one or two things that you would want um you'd want a listener to, to kind of take from this conversation. Sarah? Um, oof, okay, so a couple of things. I mean, one would be the idea that you can't, we can't buy our way out of this problem. So it's not about shopping differently, although that has a role to play. And so I think for me, it would be remembering that you do have power you know, you you are influential, even if that's in your immediate circle. And so remembering that to, you know, to keep engaging with the political system and getting involved with local initiatives is so important um, to not be passive. And I think to stay hopeful and look for examples where good stuff is happening, because that can be a huge source of energy because really what is really dangerous is, is a sense of hopelessness and getting overwhelmed by anxiety because that, that really, we don't have time for that. And um, it's understandable, but not ultimately helpful. So um, it would be those two things. It would be, you know, get stuck in, get involved politically and stay hopeful. Fab, thank you. And I completely agree with you. It's, if I was going to have one, it would be, um, remember that you know your your sphere of influence and use that um, you know we all have um, power in 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 some form or another um, yeah so absolutely Suzanne how about you wonderful points Sarah and Hannah so I think I want to address a different group of people who perhaps feel they they don't know enough or they don't know where to start so I'm going to send you away with a little thing to do, which will take an hour and a half of your time. And this is the one thing I want you to do. Homework. <laughs> this is your homework. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, homework. In fact, 
uh, before I before I say that, I'll tell you a story. Um, I mentioned earlier my favourite journalist is George Monbiog because he gets to the point and he's often quite blunt, but that's a good thing. Um, uh, he uh, is uh, lives near me and is uh, uh, a friend of a friend. So I bumped into him one day and I put him on the spot and I said, George, what is the one thing, if you could command 30 million people, what is the one thing you would ask them to do? Uh, and... Uh, of course, I put him on the spot and uh, he he didn't exactly answer the question. So I'm going to answer it now. If you do one thing today or by the end of the week and do this quickly, it's go and watch Seaspiracy on Netflix. It is grim watching, but it is highly motivating. And when you have watched it, ask everyone you know to watch it. And after that, you will know what to do. Thank you, Suzanne. That's quite a controversial point, I think. <laughs> I've read I've read a few things that sort of um uh that have uh, been critical of Seaspiracy, but it's certainly an eye-opener, I think, to see um some of the practices that are happening in terms of um the um the fishing trade uh, around the world. Um, what, what I was saying really was do a do a bit of self-education and if you don't know where to start, start there then look up the science on Google Scholar <laughs> <laughs> and then get stuck in as Sarah said. Wonderful. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much to you both. This has been um, a really enlightening conversation for me and it's been fascinating to hear um, both of your points. You know, listeners, I hope you uh, can get outside today and, and go and experience some nature and, and the, you know, the wonder of the world that we live in. Uh, Thank you, thanks very much. Bye bye. Thank Bye. you for having me. Thank you, Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.